Thank you. Now, one of the fun things about chairing these <coughs> events, ladies and gentlemen, is that suddenly you realise <coughs> that the people whose names you've been seeing in programmes for years really do exist after all. <laughs> They're not some figment of somebody's imagination. Now, let me introduce in turn the, my very distinguished panel of lighting designers, lighting experts, and jolly, a jolly good sorts, anyway. <laughs> On my extreme right, we have Natasha Chivers, followed by Richard Pilbra, who I think I can say the doyenne of theatre lighting, <laughs> Paul Pyant, and then Paulie Constable at the end. Could each of you, in turn, tell us how you got in, how you started in theatre lighting? Uh, Natasha, that's a well, I'm first um, into bat. a Lambda girl, so mm -hmm. I went to... Uh, I am. Mm. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Please continue, <laughs> Lambda girl. <laughs> so I left, uh, I left the uh, depths of Yorkshire, not quite sure what to do, but knowing that I wanted to do something creative and that mm. I wanted to do something in theatre. Um, and found a course that would allow me to have a little dabble uh, in many areas. Um, stage management, construction, sound, wardrobe, um, and lighting. And about, uh, he gets bored of hearing the story, but about mm. halfway through my course, I was on attachment as a stage manager um, at the Almeida Theatre, and I got sent down to the theatre to pick up, um, I can't remember what it was, go to the theatre, get something. And I, I lingered at the back of the auditorium um, during a focusing session and had a, had a moment, which I've never forgotten actually, where I saw a light come on, and hit the stage, and a man uh, standing there saying, swing the light onto me, and yep, do this, oh, make it bigger. And this was the, this man here, <laughs> Paul Pyant. Uh, <laughs> and it just, it, it really, it was literally in that one moment that I just thought, I saw the light, and the way it changed the colour of the floor, mm -hmm. and the way the space changed, and it was an orange light, I think it was a Greek play, and, um, and I just thought, that's what I want to do. And um, so when they said to me at the end of my attachment, have you had a good time? Um, you know, how's it been? You know, what have you learned? I said, well, I've learned that I don't want to be a stage manager. Mm. Um, and luckily, the woman who was the company manager at the time was a really fantastic kind of person with a, with a big uh, vision. And she said, oh, OK, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a lighting designer. And uh, she said, well, I'm going to arrange for you to meet Paul. And, um, and so we did. And, and uh, you gave me very good advice, which was, um, do everything, take everything, and just uh, practice. And that's what, so that's what I did. So I, I'm, in effect, self-taught, um, because I had a training in, uh, mm -hmm. you know, what a Fresnel was and what a spotlight was, what profile was. But, um, but actually, beyond that, it was put some lights up, try, change the colour, try again, try again, try again, oh. try again. <laughs> try again. <laughs> yeah. Richard, what about, how did you, what made, uh. what inspired <coughs> you to... Well, I have to line. go back a bit further, I'm afraid. <laughs> Maybe the odd year. I think mm. I was about 13 years old, and my dad sent me to a boys' boarding school, uh, which he thought would make a man of mm -hmm. me, which wasn't looking very promising. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he was a big athletic person, and I took after my mother, who was a music teacher. Mm. And I loathed this school. I mean, you were meant to play rugger and all sorts of Be a appallingly boy. manly sports, you know. And then one day I thought there was a thing called a dramatic society and they needed somebody to work the six-way dimmer board. And I, A, thought that was 
interesting, B, I could get out of any games that I wanted to <laughs> by being part of the mm -hmm. theatre. So mm -hmm. I hid in the school theatre for the next six years right. and enjoyed it a lot. So did you do the lighting for the school plays or were you acting? Or? No, no, no. I've ne well, I once mm. or twice acted, which was not very fortunate. Right. No, I did school mm -hmm. play lighting. And why did that particular aspect of putting on a show appeal to you? I'm not sure. I mean, I think I really wanted to be a director. Mm -hmm. That's what I really would have liked to have done. But in those days, when I began in the profession, you had to be called Peter. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> <coughs> and you had to have gone to university as yes. well, you know, which was mm -hmm. not a good thing. Mm -hmm. So I see lighting as telling stories, mm -hmm. and that's what I enjoy right. doing. Right. I like telling stories, and as a lighting designer, you are sort of the assistant to the director, mm -hmm. helping tell the story, mm -hmm. and that always appealed to yeah, me. Yeah, good. Paul, what about your decision to come into this profession? Total, utter happenstance. I didn't, uh, there was no career path at all, I'm afraid. I mean, I came from a very, um, shall we say, musical family. Did a lot of amateur operatics and dramatics all through in, the, um, in those heady days. And um, I was a lousy academic student at school, so um, I was um, usually just um, shoved up to the theatre and said, we'll go and do that sort of thing. So I, it's something I've always wanted to do, be in the theatre. So I was very lucky to get a place at... Um, at RADA. Uh, this is when dinosaurs were still roaming up and down Gower Street. Mm -hmm. sort of <laughs> and that was a very holistic course in those <coughs> days. And, um, but just through basically um, the good offices of the head of the department there, the, um, I ended up lighting most things because I found that more interesting than anything else, really. So it's um, no set path or anything. Mm. But, um, and then very lucky, I happy start slang, meeting people like Bob Bryan and Richard here, going on to Glyndebourne and that sort of thing. So just and stepping up, literally, working from the shop floor upwards. Mm. That's the only way to do it, really. And all the shop floors, too. I did a stints in wardrobe and stage management and props and things, because I think it's important to have a holistic view about how you put these things on. And it's so you know what everyone else's problems are. So mm -hmm. you, can, if you can help, you can help. Mm. So you need to know all these things, I think, anyway. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Paulie, what about you? How did you...? Uh, I think, interestingly, almost... Uh, as is universal here, I, it found me. Mm -hmm. I didn't find it. Um, I studied English. Uh, I wanted to be an English academic. Mm -hmm. um, I think the kind of link to storytelling, practical criticism, analysis, unpicking things, rebuilding them, it makes sense to me now, although it didn't at the time. Um, so, mm -hmm. yes, I was an English academic, but um, uh, I spent a lot of time in the drama department where I studied at Goldsmiths. And uh, in my second year, I changed and did drama with English. But it was all academic. It wasn't anything practical. Um, and then I just started to notice and see lighting and meet people like Polly um, and uh, realised that it, it was this secret language. People didn't talk about it much, but you, if you were enthusiastic and keen, there was so much to glean from it and so much to play with. I think one of the extraordinary things about lighting is when people say, what do you do, and you say, I'm a lighting designer, people quite often go, oh, how nice. <laughs> they have absolutely no idea what that might mean. And mm -hmm. it's sort of true that it is quite, oh, it's a quite a, a sort of bizarre thing to explain to people. But ultimately, every image you see in the theatre is illuminated and choices are made, and it would be quite dark and quite dull without us. That's oh, the well, kind yes. of simplest <laughs> way of looking at it. Um, but yes, it definitely found me. And I, I had this strange mix of A-levels. I had English, history of art, maths, and physics. 
And now when I look back on it, I think that's sort of perfect. Mm. Um, you know, it's very uh, logical and there's lots of technology we're playing with and very, uh, very um, based in that world. But at the same time, in the moment when you're lighting a show, it's also very intuitive and it's very image-based. And it's also a huge leap of faith because we have to do something very, very quickly in a theatre. Everybody else gets a process of trying clothes on and models and mm. things, and suddenly everyone's in a theatre watching and we have to do it. So I think I'm also slightly addicted to that as well. I'm, mm. a, I'm an adrenaline junkie. Yes, well. you like the, like the danger, <laughs> yes. as it were. Yes. Well, if we're looking back 50 years and looking at the changes that have taken place in the profession, there's one very obvious one, I think, looking at Natasha and you, Polly, is the advent of women in lighting. Now, am I, would I write in thinking it was a practically a male preserve 50 years ago? Well, it's, in, it's interesting because we're very different to the United States, aren't very we? Very different. Mm -hmm. In the United States, really the tradition of lighting design really came through. I mean, Jeannie Rosenthal and Theron Musa were the, right. would, uh, along with Joe, were the yeah. two, two of the three greats were women. Yeah. And interestingly, certainly Jeannie came through being a switchboard operator, didn't mm -hmm. she? Yep. Um, so she worked the stage door, um, and that skill was seen as something that then could be, and the tradition of stage managers becoming lighting designers. In the UK, it was very much more people who worked in lighting, the electrics department, and we all did our time in lighting departments, didn't we? But even then, hardly any, actually, at yeah. the time, I mean, compared to now. There weren't, I mean, it was, it, I would often walk into a theatre and there were no, no women in the electrics team. No. Mm -hmm. And now there's normally... One, at mm. least, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes one. More often one. Yes, yes. I think. So it's, it is changing here, but it's funny how the, the, you know, the development was something very different here to there. Yeah, very different. I mean, have you encountered m much sexism then in your careers? Masses, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us more. I mean... Well, I think there's several things. I think there's a very subtle thing that happens, um, which is actually... So uh, I think there's something about being, um, people I think in general like to be surrounded by people who are similar to them. And I think there's something about walking onto a stage to do your job. If, say, somewhere like the Opera House, if you walk on the stage and the people all around you, there's lots of people, and the people all, all around you are men, then you reflect that you feel slightly different from them. So it's quite, so there's the kind of working on that level. And if you're thinking about feeling slightly different or being aware that you're the only woman and being surrounded by a different energy, then you're not thinking about the detail of your job. You're thinking about that and you're feeling that, which I would like uh, not to feel, really, because I'd like to be able to concentrate on what I'm doing. So I always appreciate one or two women around because I don't like to feel like I'm the only woman in the building, really. So there's something, uh, I think, as subtle as that. And then I think there's also there. a strange thing with lighting, that it's quite a solitary job. I think um, we... It's quite hard to explain to people how lighting works and what it is. And I think in those moments when you're trying to make a show and pull things out of, you know, constantly pulling rabbits out of hats, mm -hmm. it, you can feel quite on your own and quite vulnerable. I think it takes, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years and I'm st still, every single time I'm doing a show, I'm still completely riddled with self-doubt. I've got no way of testing any of those ideas really until I'm doing it. And um, I think we beat ourselves up about, about, everything in those moments and I think it's an additional pressure that we add you know that we can feel because our antennae we feel very vulnerable in those moments mm. so it's another area of vulnerability in a position where we all I think we all find I think it was interesting when we had we have a thing called uh, women in stage entertainment and we had a, a day together 
and I think it was really interesting that everybody in the room at one point agreed, uh, admitted to feeling um, they didn't know enough about technology, remember? Mm. And it was a really interesting thing. And but it was I think kind we of all feel that, don't but, we? Yeah. <coughs> and then we asked male colleagues, and they said the same thing. But mm -hmm. I think there's, um, yeah, there's definitely an insecurity that goes with the territory, isn't there? Yeah. Could I t turn to the chaps now? Uh, well, everybody really. Could you sum up the changes that have taken place in your job over the last fi uh, 50 years and perhaps only Richard you could see the span of those <laughs> 50 years the youngsters here Please will give a, a sort of 20 or 25 year perspective but what have been the changes in the, that well the principal decades? change I suppose mm. is that um, when I started there wasn't such a thing as a lighting designer in Britain there were two gentlemen doing it Joe Davis who was a chief electrician for HM Tenants, and Michael Northern was a stage manager at Stratford. Now, Michael, I think, got the first ever lighting credit, but there was no such profession. So it never occurred to me. I was an ASM, mm -hmm. but I had the good fortune to work at the Majesty's Theatre on a show, two shows that ran for about three years. And I got terribly bored stage mm -hmm. managing. I apologize to stage managers here, <laughs> because you did the same thing every night. And I walked into Samuel French Bookshop one day, and there was a book called Theatrical Lighting Practice. And I opened it, an American book, mm -hmm. and it had a ground plan of lighting, which I'd never seen one in my life. And the book was about that in America, there was a profession of the lighting designer. And I thought, my God, I could do that, mm -hmm. you know? And so I said, I'm a lighting designer. And, but mm -hmm. I was like, I suppose, the first. I had the great good fortune. I founded the ALD, the Association of Lighting Designers, and I'm number one. <laughs> <laughs> now, to my absolute horror, there are now something like 2,000 members. Mm -hmm. So I don't like this competition at all. <laughs> so why, because obviously people had been lighting, <laughs> otherwise nobody could see the actors on stage. So lighting had been being done. So. Why had nobody thought to make a sort of a formal job out of it? I'll tell you why it wasn't. It, it's very critical, this difference between England and America. Mm -hmm. In America, there was a tradition that the designer lit the show. Right. And they gradually realised they couldn't mm -hmm. because it was getting too complicated, so they employed assistants who then became designers. In England, the tradition was completely different. The director lit the show, in fact, helped by the electrician. Mm -hmm. So it was entirely a prerogative of the director. So the idea of having a lighting designer was a very strange thing. So it literally was the influence from mm -hmm. America, via me, I suppose, that, that really well, began it all. And then I was amazingly lucky, uh, and I quickly needed people to help me. So I took on assistance, and then I very much encouraged them to get on their own two feet and become designers in their own right. And that's people like Robert Ormbo, Bobby Bryan, then later David Hersey and mm. Andy Bridge, all began as my assistants. And uh, so the profession mm -hmm. sort of grew. Now, Paul, what, about, what changes have you noticed in your slightly shorter well, time in the <laughs> business? 40 years, I think, I've been mm -hmm. doing that. But it, um, in that time, the revolution has been complete. I think basically it was a, at the same time of a, a revolution in stage design, because previous... Mm. When you were doing it, basically everything was cloths mm -hmm. and you know, battens mm -hmm. and things. Yeah. There was no specific scenery. It was, it was people like Edward Gordon Craig, 
in the 30s, and then, well, in your time, people like Sean Kenny mm -hmm. and John Berry, John who Berry. then started yeah. building, you know, in yeah. massive sets. So it's needed a totally different approach. And then coupled with the companies like Strand starting up and refining what were basically just light bulbs in tin boxes. Uh, you then got different kinds of lamps, which people like uh, Fred Bentham came up with right, and things, you know, right. basically Fresnels and profiles. And you can suddenly do things with these things. There was also quite a lot of... Um, I came through um, the system at Glyndebourne, and they, they depended an awful lot from the... When they conceived on was with the German equipment. So there was lots of interesting German lighting instruments to be used at Glyndebourne and things. So, I mean, then... I think when the technology started coming in, the introduction of computer controls on lighting boards, and then now uh, computer-controlled lights as well. I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's been a complete change from that yeah. point of view. Mm -hmm. You now have to be... Well, I, I can't, as a, as a lighting designer, cannot now um, do the job on my own. I have to have an assistant, I have to have a programmer, I have to have a production electrician, because the expertise of the whole thing has become incredibly refined. There are people out there now who have an expertise in rigging or in working in the... Um, the data control and this thing, that sort of thing. So it sort of it has revolutionised completely from being able to hit yeah. something with a hammer or turn the gas pressure up <laughs> to um, yeah, now to being highly sophisticated. Yeah. yeah. Paulie, anything you'd like to add? I, I, I think it has been amazing being part of that period of change in technology and constantly trying to learn. But I do also think um, all the changes are a means to an end, yeah. and uh, I, I also think that uh, a good idea and a beautiful image is a good idea and a beautiful image, whether it were created 50 years ago or 50 yeah. minutes yeah. ago. And uh, I think the temptation can be with new technology to kind of use that because it's new, mm -hmm. as opposed to for it to genuinely solve the problems that we're grappling with. So I think um, technology has very exciting possibilities, particularly control. We can control hundreds and thousands mm. of lights and make cues that are very complicated and things. But I, I'm very wary of the use of technology for its own sake. Mm. I, I love simple, well, beautiful. Yeah. My byline is I'm the last <coughs> steam-driven lighting designer in the business. Oh, no, that's <laughs> yeah. well, I think I'll be turning the light out after. <laughs> 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 Natasha, what what your thoughts no, on this? I agree. I think it also. I think the technology can allow you to make decisions later and perhaps not as thoroughly as you would have done before. It's interesting because Rich and I were presenting uh, some awards yesterday. To, we have a, a bursary with the Association of Light Designers for up-and-coming um, designers, and we were both on the judging panel. And, um, and the, the chap who I was uh, giving the award to had done, this, uh, had done this portfolio full of incredible work, and he's clearly, uh, you know, he's clearly got a talent. And I think the thing that I loved about his, um, his entry was that it was incredibly bold and it wasn't a lighting design sometimes we get entries from people who have been taught how to be a lighting designer and they've done these plans that have got kind of incredible general cover and they've got some moving lights in really sensible places so that if they decide they want to do this and and that but actually this guy had put up lights time and time again for productions that those lights were really only going to do one thing and that was his idea and that's what he was going to do and it worked and he'd committed to those ideas and I think um that's the kind of lighting design that mm -hmm. I like, where mm -hmm. someone's, you know, sat down, had an instinct, done their research, and has a has a strong feeling for what it should be, and has gone for that, and not uh, gone for something that's a bit foggy and and even, and you know, option here, there, and, and everywhere. So, I think it has its, I think it has its advantages. But I agree with Paulie. I think you have to have the the ideas. 
What, what about lighting at the National over the years? I mean, when the building opened, was it the last word and up to the minute <coughs> techno wizardry lighting? And is it, does it still you know, have that advantage over other theatres? Has it been you know, overtaken by other venues? I mean, what's your experience of working as lighting designers at the National? Can you share that with um. us? Should I start there? Yeah. 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 You started um, it, yes. yes. <laughs> Quiet. I, mean, I, I was hired by Laurence Olivier. Um, he asked mm. me to do the first season at Chichester, but he only asked me two days before opening night, right. and it was too late. So mm. I left in some disgrace, mm. and he rang me up the following... May I tell this story? Please. It's a bit rude. He, oh, rang, well, he rang me up the following mm. January, because mm. I thought my career was mm. over. Mm -hmm. He'd, said, out you go. He rang me up the following January. He said, Dickie, because he used to call me Dickie, which I hated. <laughs> uh, he said, Dickie, dear boy, it's January. We open in June. Does that give you enough fucking time? <laughs> <laughs> so I took over and I lit that season in Chichester mm. and then the opening here for, mm. for Hamlet with O'Toole. And we actually put in a new control system, which was at the time state of the art. Um, and I think those early shows, I hope somebody remembers them, you know, the three sisters, um, Uncle Vanya, Othello, Love for Love. I mean, they were the most glorious period of British theater, I think. And yes, they were state of the art. Um, then when we come to design the building, <laughs> that was the challenge to create a new theatres that would have the ability to light a show as well as anything on Broadway or in the West End, except you had to change it over in half an hour. Yes. And that was the challenge. Mm -hmm. So we had, I think the Olivier, we designed 750 channels, lighting channels. In those days, the norm was about 150. So it was like seven times more than ever before. And we had designed a whole lighting control system. I'm probably the only lighting designer who ever actually designed his own control system. And it was absolutely state-of-the-art and pretty good. And I think they've kept it going. Yeah. They've replaced the equipment. They've now, I think, there are probably twice as many lighting channels in the yes. Olivier. Yeah. So I think, I think it's kept... The cutting edge. Good. I think. Paulie, I see that it's now it's come up to 1.30, but do you want to perhaps just give us your take on working at the National as a lighting designer? I mean, the biggest privilege about working at the National Theatre is that we're working in a subsidised, supported environment where we can take risks. And I think it is a culture that supports risk taking, and that's, yeah. you know, in lighting terms, we can do that. And they do try and push the boat out in terms of us trying new things, new equipment. Um, I mean, it's interesting what you were talking about, the number of channels. I mean, the development of lighting boards. Um, the National's actually been absolutely a key player in the whole development of EOS, which is the kind of main theatre and opera platform globally now. I mean, there's yeah. two, and the main one has been developed with feedback from all the designers and programmers working here. Um, so, yes, it, it does remain that. Mm. Obviously, um, it's not a blank cheque. But I think as designers, it's important we don't work with blank checks. We have to work to yeah. a brief. Mm -hmm. um, and we have to um, work in a way that's responsible and where 
you know, we're looking, we're constantly asking for new things and solving new problems, and they support you in that very much. That culture has remained. I mean, do you think that technology and all the things that can be done now uh, by computers, has that changed the job significantly? Is it a different role you have now? Or is it merely you've, you sort of have a different set of colours, a different palette to paint from? I'd like to echo what Polly said. I and mean, we have all this new stuff, you know, com lights that walk around the theatre on their own and change colour and all this stuff. None of that really matters. What we're talking about is the play and seeing actors and telling stories. And I mean, Rembrandt did pretty well with a brush in mm -hmm. his hand, didn't we? Lighting equipment is only like paintbrushes. Mm -hmm. Now you have a hugely expanded palette, but it's how you use it. Mm -hmm. and yeah. Trouble is with lighting designers, we tend to talk about the equipment because it's easy to talk about. It's not. It's very difficult to talk about the aesthetics, yeah. isn't it? But it, none of that, none of these tin cans really matter. I mean, some of the most beautiful shows I ever saw were long before Joe Davis, who was the first designer mm. here, marvelous man of the forties. Uh, I saw a production of The Ladies Not for Burning, John Gielgud. Mm -hmm. And it had a moment of lighting. There was a window up centre, a gothic window. And sun was coming through the window. And it was an April spring day. And the lighting sort of was coming and going in the most magical way. And that's turned me on to lighting. And that was one of those beautiful things I ever saw in any theatre, ever. And nobody's ever done any better, including myself. I've tried to do it often. And you can't. <laughs> it was a moment of such subtlety and beauty. I mean, your job primarily is for us in the audience to see, to have the actors, or at least to have the story told to us visually. But talking of aesthetics, I mean, how much are you interested in producing something that's lovely to look at for its own sake? How, how interested are you in painting a pretty picture or an effective or a dramatic picture? I'm only interested in an appropriate picture. Mm -hmm. It's entirely dependent yes. on the play. You never like the same twice, I hope, mm. and it's totally from the words written by the author and our first, second, third, fourth, fifth job, which is to like the actor. So the actor's looking wonderful. Mm -hmm. But it's about being appropriate to the mm -hmm. script I and to the concept. I agree, and I think that's why it's quite a difficult thing to teach, because uh, the the first thing I think to be said, because you know, I, I sometimes go into schools and run workshops, is that there are no rules. So that's quite a kind of strange place to start from. So you can't say, you know, you could say, well, you can't, you can't use green gel for face light. But I did actually light a show where green light for face light was appropriate. It was a, a new play about whether uh, quite apocalyptic, where the world had, had kind of gone severely wrong and and it was toxic. And and the only and I kept and I said to the director. Um, I've got one idea really, and, and if it doesn't work, I don't really know what we're going to do. And it was Edinburgh Festival, so we're quite limited for equipment. And, and she said, "Well, what's the idea?" So I told her, and, and we did it, and it was right for that. And I would never mm. advise anybody to, you know, to to use green light for someone's face. I but love um, green light. <laughs> oh, I love green light. If you're playing a scene in a field, why wouldn't it be green? Because the sun mm. tends to hit the grass and I come and make off. green light. This is very green. I don't think there are any. <laughs> there are no rules of that nature. Mm. The only rule. Is I must see the actors appropriately. Mm. Mm. 
Well, sometimes uh, I think my title should be changed to darkness designer. That could <laughs> <laughs> equally be as effective as well. So. Yes, yes. Anyway, talking of darkness, let's have some lights up because I'd like to have some questions from the audience and let's see who wants to... Yes, a hand up at the end of the row there, I can just about see. Yes, LEDs as opposed to, what was it, traditional? Yeah, function. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to go for that one? Mm. Um, I think they're on their way. Um, I think that, I think they're very good. I think the, the first thing that happened was the, the saturated colours. I think they were, they were mastered very quickly. So if you're doing something that's very uh, colourful or you're lighting you know, a wall or an architectural, like I think in theatre, Correct me if I'm wrong. The, the, the our first kind of major use w was on um, cloths and sykes, so that that came in very quickly um, as a replacement for kind of old floodlights. Uh, and I think the thing that you know, like the um, uh, uh, energy-saving bulbs, I think the thing that's harder uh, are the warm whites and are getting light on um, on skin tones. I think that's that's taking longer. And I think that there's a couple of fixtures that have come out recently that have made it's strong it's developments. You, Paul, you talk. Well, that has been uh, How are you doing dragged kicking and screaming into the LED world. I'm, I'm not a great, um, well, I haven't been, put it that way, until Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where we've got something like 83 kilometres of LED on it. Um, so <laughs> it's a, <laughs> it was a baptism of a fire. Um, no, I, there's going to be, play, it's, it's the future, obviously, yeah. but I... I I hope it's not at the expense of a simple tungsten, because, again, you, what you can get out of a, a, an open white tungsten unit is infinite, in my opinion, basically. But uh, I mean, uh, as control becomes more sophisticated, as the LEDs become more sophisticated, then there's a use for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Richard, do you agree? Yeah, I, I agree entirely. I mean, they were very crude. They're getting better almost by the month. Mm. Um, so the technology is coming in. It, it's a massive change may be akin to when we moved from gas to electricity, <laughs> you know. I mean, Ellen Terry reportedly loathed electricity, had it all turned off. Well, LEDs are the same thing. It's changing and it yeah. will get better. And we've got to economise with the energy, for God's sake, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, although lighting doesn't use as much electricity as people say it does, but um, we've got to be more economical, and LED is one of the ways. There'll be other light sources will arrive. Excuse my ignorance, but what does LED stand for? It's an light acronym. Light-emitting diode. <laughs> light-emitting diode. All right. Yeah. Well, looking at the clock, ladies and gentlemen, sadly, I now have to switch off the lights to this fascinating session. I hope we've all been beautifully lit, by the way. I'm sure we have. <laughs> And it's like, lovely it's to see such, as I said, to see actual real people behind the names and theatre programmes at long last. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in thanking Natasha, Richard and Paul. Thank you all very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you.